Good morning, Creekside. I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I, we've got an amazing morning for you. I'm so excited um, about what's happening. So let me, let me just kind of start here. Um, there's somebody here uh, amongst you. You may, not, you may or may not know who you are, but the Lord is calling you uh, to leave here and all your comfort and your job and everything else and go on the mission field. Who, who am I talking about? Maybe need someone to raise their hand. I, so I am... <laughs> Lucky for you guys, I'm not charismatic enough to, uh, to do that, okay? So I don't know the answer. But if, uh, so the Lord has not put that on my heart or anything like that. But if, you, if you're sitting here and you're like, oh, that would never be me or whatever, then you feel exactly like our guest this morning did when the Lord uh, called them uh, to the mission field. So it is, it is one of those things where we like know that the Lord can uh, lead us wherever we want, right? Like hands open, God, take me anywhere you want to go. Just like we sang, like, um, you know, like giving you my surrender, like I'm going to make room for you to do whatever you want to. But it's a different thing when the Lord actually like cashes that check, you know what I'm saying? And like, hey, let's take you here. So I'm excited for you to get to hear our guest this morning um, because our guest is actually like one of our family members, um, a couple that were a family really that were part of our church for a long time. Um, I overlapped eight years ago. I had six months of overlap with this couple. And um, the Lord just, they were, they were here and serving and blessing and investing in our church. Um, and the Lord just called them to, to go. So what we, we have to hear this morning from Justin Cosgrove. Um, and he is, was one of our elders. Uh, he and his wife, his family were serving, an active part of our church, um, a missions director, helping send stuff. But the Lord just kind of nudged them and over time brought them down to Mexico. They are now are part of uh, the run Permanent Sarah Ministries. So if you've seen these hats or shirts around the church at all, this morning you finally get to figure out what that is all about. Um, and it's just been this most amazing partnership over the last eight years. I've been able to be down there and be blessed to see what it is and to, to invest with it. We are um, our great church partners, and uh, we're extended family with them now. They used to be brothers and sisters, now they're cousins, and um, it's great to like have them back with us this morning. So Justin's going to come. He's going to share the word with us. Let's, uh, let's clap at Justin as he comes up. Thank you so much. It's, um, it's really a blessing to be here today, to be able to come back and... Um, just share what God is doing in Mexico, um, what he's been doing through the faithful partnership of Creekside. And I got to say, we've been away um, eight years. And over those eight years, the, the worship centers changed, the event rooms changed, the lobbies changed. So many faces uh, are different here in the church. So many people we haven't gotten a chance to meet yet. But this still feels like home. And it just feels good to be here and to get to share um, just what God's been doing. And so thank you, um, thank you so much for having us. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to, to talk about what God's been doing. Um, thanks for giving us the time. Uh, thanks for supporting through Creekside what's happening at House of Mercy and all the other ministries. Um, I just realized we're going um, to be in John chapter 6 today. If anybody's still got a paper Bible and wants to open up to it, that's where we're headed. The scripture will be on the screen. You'll be able to find it there, so you don't, you don't need your Bible out. But uh, we'll be in chapter 6. Um, we're going to be talking about what is permanent Sarah. Where do we get this name from? Um, it doesn't exactly roll off the tongue. It's not exactly what somebody would pick if they had a great business plan, but I think it's got a great message behind it, and I hope you'll agree with me today as we go through and, and hear about that. But before I start in that, I realize so many people have joined this church um, 
in the past few years that there might be a lot of people who aren't familiar with Pastor Francisco or House of Mercy, and they're going to come up a lot today as I talk. And so I want to introduce you to um, Pastor Francisco Torres from Ensenada, Mexico, and behind him is a place that we call the House of Mercy. God gave Pastor Francisco a vision for um, a calling, really, for helping out families that are at the general hospital in Ensenada. Um, the hospitals work a little bit differently in Mexico than they do here. Um, there's not a waiting room. You don't get to go in with your family member. Um, and doctors won't call you and give you information. And so uh, the doctor does his rounds, sees the patient. He'll come out and speak to any family members who are there. And so if you have somebody in the hospital, uh, you're going to go and you're going to sit outside the hospital and wait for information and be there when you get an opportunity to visit your loved one. And so... God led him to create a ministry called House of Mercy, where he provides shelter for these families. He provides food. He provides transportation. God has just done a tremendous work, but he's done it through Creekside. Eight years ago, eight years ago this spring break, a Creekside youth group went down and poured the foundation for the House of Mercy. And then eight years ago this summer, um, Creekside sent six different teams to go and build the, um, the first building that took shape there at the House of Mercy. And over the years, you've continued to send team after team. You've continued to sponsor us financially, support us financially. Um, so many hands have had uh, a part in building the House of Mercy, and so many lives have been transformed. Um, Pastor Francisco gets to spend every morning and every evening uh, telling the family members about the hope that is only found in Jesus, about the healing that can be found in Jesus. He gets to encourage them and let them know that God built this place for them. And thousands, I'm not kidding, thousands of people have come through the doors. In fact, this year in 2024, we expect that they'll probably end up housing somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 people. You take that over the course of eight years, thousands of people are hearing the message, the gospel of Christ, the hope that they can find in their time of need, and you guys have a huge part in that. So thank you so much. Um, if Pastor Francisco were here, he would literally hug every single one of you, and he has commissioned me and said, you've got to hug everybody and thank everybody for me. So if after the service you want to collect your hug, you're welcome to. <laughs> I'm not going to come out and find you guys to give hugs, but... We're going to be in um, chapter 6, as I said, and let me just set up kind of what's happening for us here before um, we get to the verse where uh, the name Permanence Air comes from. Jesus has been going around doing what Jesus does. He's been healing people, and the crowds have been taking notice. People are starting to follow him by the thousands, and literally the first thing that happens in John chapter 6 is he's got 5,000 men. A lot of people say there were probably about 20,000 people there when you count women and children listening to him preach. 20,000 people seeking after Jesus, hearing him tell them about the kingdom that is coming, and he does a miracle. Um, he says the people need to eat the only food they had there, five loaves, two fishes. He takes those five loaves, two fishes. He multiplies them and he feeds maybe 20,000 people there. When he gets done doing that miracle, um, he goes away to be with the Lord. He spends time on his own with God, and he sends his disciples across the lake. Um, they're out 
rowing their way across the lake, get out to the middle. In the middle of the night, Jesus does a second miracle. He walks on water. He walks out and meets them in the middle of the lake, takes them to the other side. So Jesus is doing miraculous things, and people are taking notice. And we get to the other side of the lake, and he's got thousands of people who are seeking after him. They don't necessarily know who this Jesus guy is. They don't really know what he's all about, but they want to know more, and they're seeking and coming after him. He's got some people that are disciples. And when I'm saying disciples, I'm not talking about the 12. He's got people who have now seen a couple of miracles. They've heard some of his words and they're starting to believe. And so they're starting to follow him and follow him around and learn more from his teaching. And then he's got the 12. He's got 12 people that he has called very specifically to leave everything behind, follow him and learn from him. And they have seen him as the sent one of God. And so this is the picture we come to when we come to this verse that's not actually all that popular. Um, It's not something we tend to talk about. But what he says is he's got this large crowd around him. He says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Jesus has this giant crown, and this is what he decides to say. Don't work for food that perishes. Work for the food that endures to eternal life. You can breathe easy. I did not come back from Mexico after eight years to tell you that you need to quit your job and go into the mission field. (laughs) This is not about your job. This is not about deciding to become a full-time vocational pastor and uh, leave the working world behind. That's not the type of work that Jesus is talking about. And we know it because the crowd hears this and they, they skip over the first part. They don't actually ask anything about this work that they're doing that, for food that perishes, but they dive right into, tell us about this work that we can do that, for food that will endure to eternal life. So they ask him, what is the work? What is the work that we should be doing? And Jesus answers very plainly. He says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. And this opens up what in John chapter 6 is the first of of Jesus's I am statements where he essentially goes on to say, I'm the bread of life. And he essentially declares himself as the one who has sent the God, the Messiah, the one they've been waiting for. Um, They're going to end up rejecting that. But he says that the work to be done is to believe in me. And it is work. It's no mistake that he uses the word work because the type of belief that he's talking about is not an intellectual belief. It's not a a decision that we make between two options that we decide this is the better option over the other option. The belief that Jesus is talking about is a complete belief in him, a trusting in him, the type of thing that when Jesus says you need to give, you give. And when Jesus says you need to go, you go. And when Jesus says you need to forgive, you forgive. Um, This is the type of belief that Jesus is talking about. And this is the work that he says that he has for us. He doesn't get a chance to talk about the food that doesn't perish because he goes into this long, um, this long answer about him being this person and people pretty much reject him there. But he's actually given us the answer. If we want to know what is the food that doesn't perish, he actually told us that and he told us in the same place that Nathan was preaching last week. As Nathan was talking about worship, he was talking about how Jesus met this woman at a well. Well, Jesus and his 12 were traveling walking, and they come to this area of Samaria, and they were hungry. They'd been traveling by foot, and Jesus sent the 12 disciples in to find food 
And then he meets the woman at the well, and he goes through everything that Nathan talked about last week, talking about what true worship is. But then the disciples come back to him, and they're encouraging Jesus to eat. They're like, Jesus, you've got to be famished. We've got to, to get you some food. And Jesus says, don't worry about it. I've already eaten. And they're like, you have food? What, what's this food that you have, Jesus? And Jesus tells us what this food is. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. I don't think Jesus was doing a play on words here. I don't think he was kidding around. I mean, clearly he was making an example for his disciples, but I literally believe that Jesus was sustained by, that his soul was completely satisfied by the fact that he had just done the will of God, that God had called him to have this encounter with a woman at a well, and he did it, and he fulfilled the will of God, and that sustained him. And I think that when Jesus is telling us to work for the food that endures to eternal life, I think what Jesus is clearly telling us is that he, he wants us to believe in him and he wants us to do his father's will. He wants us to be a part of accomplishing his father's will. Okay, so do not work for the food that perishes, but work for the food that endures to eternal life. So we know what the food and the work that endures, what is the work and the food that perishes? He doesn't tell us directly here, but, you know, I find it fascinating that the crowd didn't even bother to ask. And I think the way they didn't, the reason they didn't ask is because they already knew. They were used to working in the fields. They were used to working for uh, food at the end of the day. They were, they were used to working and living off of what their hands had created or made, and it didn't last. They were, they were used to having to go back out and work again and again. And so, what a lot of commentators say is this work that Jesus is talking about here is a striving after or a setting our hope on. It could be believe. It could be believe again, this idea that we set our hope in things that perish. We, we, we go and we work after things that perish. And when I, when I say that, there's probably a lot of things that can come to your mind. Some of the things that can draw our attention. And you probably start with the bad things that can draw our attention away from Jesus, right? You know, there's a, there's a lot of guilty pleasures that we can go to that would, that would take our, our eyes off of Jesus. There's, um, there's a lot of things that can draw us away. But a lot of times we don't even think about the good things that we can end up striving after or setting our hope on that also are perishing. Things like education, skills and ability, jobs, promotions, position, influence, retirement, savings, money, health, safety, home, family, friends, children, vacation, sports, hobbies. Yes, I made a list. <laughs> and really, this list, uh, we all know it's not complete. Um, this list really should be everything that isn't Jesus and his will, right? You could put anything up there that isn't Jesus, that isn't the will of God, could fall under things that perish. And when we talk about these good things in a church like this, we have a tendency to do something. We, we try to soften the blow. We say, and I get it. I'm not trying to be judgmental here. I have strived after every single one of those things on that list, okay? And so when we preach something like this, because it can be super convicting, we tend to say, I'm not saying those things are bad. They're just not as good as Jesus, right? We tend to say, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with those things. They're just not as good as Jesus. But I want to say something really clearly. I think Jesus is saying there's something wrong with those things, I think Jesus is telling us that there are actually two things really wrong with everything on this list. One is that they're all perishing. 
None of them are going to last. And we've all experienced this. I know a lot of people in this church who have worked really hard, who have done a really good job, have lost their job this year, have seen that job go away. I know people who have studied long and hard in a career field and then found that field taken over by some sort of innovation, and it just feels like the education they got isn't worth what it used to be. I've seen people put money into investments and savings and then find them go away. Either somebody you know, robbed it or the market changed, things go away. We are used to seeing things fail us. We know that things perish. And Jesus is saying that all of these things, they're not going to last. They're empty vessels. He's also saying a second thing that's wrong with all these things is that they will cause us to strive after him. Every single one of us will seek after these things, will put our hope in these things, and they will draw us away from Jesus. There's something really honestly dangerous about these things because they have a tendency to draw our attention away, to pull our hope away from Jesus and to put him in these things. And if you think I'm over-exaggerating what Jesus meant here, Jesus says this verse. He says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. He goes on this dissertation about the fact that he is the bread of life. The crowd scatter. They're gone. It says that many of the disciples left him. Many of the disciples left him. And then Jesus turns to the 12, the people he's called, the people he's chosen, the people who have left everything to follow him. He turns to the 12 and he says, are you going to leave me too? This opens up the highlight, I think, of chapter 6. This is where Peter says, where would we go? You're the chosen one of God. Proclaims Jesus as the Christ, which is incredible. But then after that, Jesus said to him, did I not choose you? But one of you is a devil. Jesus knew that one of his chosen 12 was going to betray him for money. He knew that the very person who was proclaiming him as the chosen one of God was going to deny him for his own safety. These things have a very dangerous ability to pull us away from God. And this is not the only place in the Bible that says this. There's a much more famous verse uh, that we can go to. It says it in entirely different words. Uh, Paul, uh, when he writes the book of Romans, I think this is probably undisputed, uh, the, the best depiction of the gospel. He spends the entire book of Romans essentially explaining the gospel. He starts with our human uh, sin nature. Uh, he describes God's holy nature. He describes the gulf that exists between us, the gulf that exists that, that just cannot be overcome by a legal system of sacrifices that that demanded a savior would come and would die for us, would take our sin to the cross and put it to death and then resurrect, come back again. He explains the hope that we have in Christ. So he explains very detailed the gospel of Christ, gets us up to this moment. And then in chapter 12, He starts talking about what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? What do we do in light of this salvation message? And he implores us to live as living sacrifices, to be living sacrifices. And he says in Romans 12, 2, he says, do not be conformed to this world. In the NIV version, it says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. And I think that this is what it means 
to strive after things that are perishing. I think that if you were to say, what is the pattern of this world? We have a tendency to chase after education, job, position, savings, retirement. I mean, this is the American dream in a nutshell, isn't it? The pattern of this world is that we chase after things that aren't lasting. He says, do not do that. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This is the gospel message. Jesus is the only one who can transform us. It's his Holy Spirit who does the work. He's saying, believe in Jesus. And why? So that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. He's leading us to the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect so that we can do the will of God. I know this is a hard message. I'm not being judgy. <laughs> I'm not. I swear. This is a message of hope. What in the world does any of this have to do with Permanacer um, or Pastor Francisco? Um, let me start with Pastor Francisco. As I talk about creating a ministry like the House of Mercy that is caring for thousands of people in a really big way, I think it's easy for us to think um, that's something that God does through a very special few people. That God's going to choose just the right person. He's going to give them a very big vision, a master plan, and this is something that that person is going to do. And it, it's just rare. It's, it, it's rare to see. But I want to tell you, I have come to believe over eight years in the mission field and seeing this happen time and time again. That's just not true. God wants to do these things through us. And I'll tell you that Pastor Francisco is no perfect person. He is just like you and me. And he didn't receive this call in one fell swoop. It's been a series of small steps. So House of Mercy started because Pastor Francisco's mom uh, got sick and was in the hospital. And so like many families, any other family, he went to uh, the general hospital. Now, the difference was he lives in Ensenada. Um, so he had a car that he was able to take there. He was able to have his wife bring him warm meals every day. And so as he's there waiting for information, he's waiting in the warmth of his car. He's eating a warm meal. Um, he's still going through the struggle that we all know when a family member's sick, when the situation seems dire, he's going through this state. And so he's worn out and he's tired. And one night he's sitting in his car and he's uh, getting ready to eat his meal. And he just feels the Holy Spirit prompting him. Or as, house, as Pastor Francisco would say, he actually feels the voice of God telling him, look around you. He's like, what's this? I don't, I don't know. He's like, I'm going to eat my meal. And he feels it again. Look around you. And so he does. He looks around him, and he sees a man with two small children sitting on the sidewalk out in front of the House of Mercy. And it was clear in an instant that these guys were going to be spending the night there on that sidewalk, that these two small kids and this guy were going to share this one blanket. And he just felt the Lord prompting him to do something. And he, <laughs> Pastor Francisco would tell you if he's standing here right now, he did not want to do it. He's like, it's been the end of a very long day. I've got this one small meal. I'm exhausted. You know, what am I going to do here? But he felt the prompting and he did it. He opened up his door and he offered this man and his two children to come in. He shared his food with them. And that was the start of House of Mercy. Pastor Francisco's mother passed away um, at, the, at the hospital. And when she passed away, he went back to his church and he said, there's families 
at the hospital that I just didn't even realize, and God might be calling us to do something about it. So as church starts going, they start taking blankets, they start taking warm meals, they start praying with families there. But never for an instant was his, his plan to create any type of big ministry. He's just loving on people there. And God spoke to him again and said, you know what, you fed these people, you've given them something to drink, you've given them the word of God, but you haven't taken them into a home. And he led him to find a piece of property, to begin working on that piece of property with the vision of building a home that could care for these people. And Francisco would actually say, what Francisco likes to say, he has a saying, he says, God gives us this calling, he's just waiting for us to take this one step of faith. God wants us to take the first step of faith. And then he's going to meet us in every other step after that. And that's what Francisco saw when he took this first step of faith. When God, when God led him to buy a piece of property that he couldn't afford and take his church out there to start working on it with literally like two shovels in their hands, God brought Creekside Church and several others alongside of him and built this amazing ministry that is now reaching thousands of people. That wasn't the only step. You know, when the, when the ministry started out, um, Pastor Francisco had this really clear vision, and it was a vision from God. He said, God built this place for the family members who are here from the general hospital. It's not for anything else. It's not for people who are homeless. It's not for people dealing with addiction. It's not for people who are sick. It's for the family members. This ministry is to bless the family members that have come out of the hospital. And so he had that as a policy for a good long while. And then one day I'm visiting Pastor Francisco, and he says to me, Justin, we've got to make a change. And I was like, oh, no, what happened? He was telling me the story, and it was a story like hundreds of others. It's the common story of House of Mercy. Somebody comes from a distance away to Ensenada because their family member's sick. They have no place to stay. They hear about the House of Mercy. They end up up there, and honestly, they don't want to be there. Nobody wants to be living in a shelter. Um, nobody really wants to be around these strange Christian people, and immediately they think you're going to push your faith on us, you're going to push your belief on us. And so he didn't want to be there, but what he saw was that as he was there, and he was there for six weeks, over the course of these six weeks, God did what he does in so many lives. He showed him his love, his mercy. He surrounded him with a group of people who just took care of him and prayed for him and just shared with him the hope that they had in God. And this guy began to believe in Jesus and hope in Jesus and pray with other family members and got to see his brother released from the hospital. But when his brother was released from the hospital, he was still in really bad shape. He wasn't able to travel back to where they were from. And so the gentleman came to Pastor Francisco and said, uh, I need to bring my brother here and I need to take care of him here for a while. And Francisco said, I'm sorry, but that's not what we do. Um, it's going to make all the other family, you know, this isn't a hospital. We're not equipped for that. It's just not something we can do. And the guy broke down and then Francisco broke down and Francisco comes to me and he says, Justin, he's like, I just destroyed six weeks of what God was doing by this. God's calling us to help these people when they need to care for their family members as well. And it was yet another step of faith. God has just continued to grow this ministry through these incremental single steps, first steps of faith. And that's what we have seen in Mexico over the last eight years. If I had only seen it in Pastor Francisco, I'd be saying to you, you know what, this is a one-time thing. This is a really special guy. He has a really special relationship with Jesus, and Jesus is just doing incredible things through him. But that's not the case 
at all. Because I've seen him do the same thing through Angelica, through Nicholas. I've seen him do it through Angel. I've seen him do it through Pablo. I've seen him do it through Marlon, through Andrea. I've seen him do it through Chewy. I've seen him do it through Arturo. It is a consistent pattern that when we're willing to let go of the things that we're clinging to and cling to Jesus, he will do miraculous things through us. And so I just want to encourage you that He'd want to do that through you and through me and everybody here. He may not be calling you to Mexico. He may not be calling you to Cambodia. I don't know where he's calling you, but I guarantee if you're here because you've heard the gospel of Christ and that you're following Christ, he's calling you to something, and he's going to meet you in it. He's going to encrypt you in it, but he's also going to ask you to take that first step by faith. So what's this have to do with permanence there? Permanence there is the word in the Spanish Bible where we've got endures to eternal life highlighted here. And so for me, it's also, permanence there means to remain, to abide, to endure. It could have been that we decided to, um, you know, make the verse a more popular verse where, where uh, Jesus is talking about the fact that he's the vine and his Lord Father's the vine dresser and to remain in him. That verse says permanent there, I don't know how many times, probably eight or ten times throughout the verse. And so it would have made more sense maybe to consider that one. But I was like, what does it mean to abide? For me, this verse is the practical walking out of what it means to abide in Christ. It means to just continuously take these single steps of faith, releasing the things that we're clinging to and clinging further and further to Jesus and then letting him do the work that he wants to do. So thank you so much um, for the opportunity to share uh, what's been going on. Let me pray for us and just pray that God would give us um, the ability to do this because this is something that is not easy. It's supernatural that we need Jesus to do within us. So let me just pray that he would do that work for us. Lord, I thank you so much uh, for the example that you have given us in Pastor Francisco. I thank you for the way that we have seen you move and you work through him. I thank you for the faith that he has that inspires us. And I just pray, Lord, I know that you are calling each and every one of us here to something. I know that you have a purpose for us. I know that you would want to have us be a part of doing your will, of accomplishing your will. So, Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see what you would be doing, ears to hear you when you call. Lord, I pray that you would give us the faith to just take that one simple step, whatever that first step is that you'd have, and to trust you in everything else. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this day, and I just thank you uh, for your presence here in our lives. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.